I really like outsider music. I really like, I like outsider art. I like outsider music. I like, I like naive attempts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there's like a lot more soul in that kind of yeah. stuff, either visually or, or <laughs> musically. You know, I like naive <laughs> attempts. <laughs> I mean it though. I yeah, mean that's that's, that's just, the stuff that really speaks God to me. Goddamn, you just came up with a mission statement for my life. <laughs> this is National Demystified. I am Alex Steed. National Demystified is a show in which I get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. Today we talk with Ben Swank, one of the co-owners of Third Man Records. National Demystified is made possible by Knack Factory, a video and content production house with offices and facilities here in the city, and by We Own This Town, a collection of podcasts produced by Nashvillians. You might enjoy Chris Gaines, the podcast. Chris Gaines, the podcast. Where hosts Ashley Spurgeon and Michael Eads explore the misunderstood career of Chris Gaines, the Garth Brooks pop alter ego. I don't know why I said that twice, but it just felt good to do. Uh, All right, let's see. Before I begin, I'm working with the storytelling event series Mortified to kick off an event here in Nashville. We'd really love for you to be a part of it, so go to getmortified.com, click participate, and when you submit, select Nashville as your city. I would love to see you there. Finally, please find us on social. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and the inflamed slow oof. I left inflamed in when I called it a hemorrhoid. Uh, all right, I'll just read it as it reads now. Finally. Please find us on social. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and the inflamed slow-moving Category 5 hurricane that is Facebook. Ben Swank got to Nashville a day or so before Third Man launched, and so his and the label's history here in the city are more or less one. Before he came to Nashville, Ben was the drummer for the Soldad Brothers, a garage rock band from Ohio. Since Nashville Demystified is primarily interested in how the city is, how the city was, and where the two meet in the middle, Third Man is an interesting focus. It just celebrated its 10th anniversary, something that feels to me, an outside observer, like a blink of an eye, and according to Swank, he also feels very much the same way. And significant to our area of interest, as an institution goes, Third Man is still relatively new next to many of the city's larger institutions but also it has undeniably become an institution. It's a bridge between the last days of Nashville before the flood and the city that we know today. I should also note quickly that we didn't touch on it here in this interview, but Ben is set to launch a small label called Plant Life Records, which he teased a bit on Instagram last week. It didn't come up in this interview, but I figured it worth a mention. I emailed Ben about it and he wrote the following. Third Man Records and Home Life takes the priority and majority of my time, but I have three releases in various stages of production to hopefully be out by the end of October slash early November. One is by Rich Ruth. It's called Calming Signals. It's a co-release with General General Records. It's an LP. One is by Hush Arbors. It's called Easy by Nature. It's also an LP. And one is by Kings of the Fucking Sea. It's called The Death Dealer, and it is a 7-inch. Again, it's all coming out under uh, Plant Life Records. He says, It's just a way of exploring some projects that feel personal to me and that don't fit into the context of Third Man for varying reasons. It's largely, uh, excuse me, it'll largely have a focus of psych, damage, and ambient 
uh, in anything else left of the dial. I should say that <laughs> I saw Ben um, not long after this interview at Grimey's and uh, he was telling me in depth about a book uh, that he'd run into about a series of various psych things and he was lit up like a young one on Christmas. Just this man is into psych. So anyway, keep an eye out for that. Okay, I'm super stoked. Let's talk to Ben. Nashville and Third Man, uh, for me, are completely tied in together in every aspect from, you know, the second I moved here. Um, I, I, I flew here from London. I was living in London for five or six years. I flew. I had a, a severely delayed flight in Chicago. I, they lost my luggage. I stayed in the, the Chicago airport overnight. I landed. I stayed at Jack's house for a couple months till I could find a place. But literally within two days, the we had started the business and this office was open. So all of my time in Nashville is directly related to this business and this and this physical space in a lot of ways i would sleep a lot of nights here early <laughs> on when we were getting up and running and um didn't really i was i you know i, I went through a pretty long separation that turned into a divorce and you know so all i really had going on was 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 the job mm-hmm. And, what and, a blessing for starting something. Kind of, to <laughs> not, be honest. I had to, I had, part, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, um, the but it, it turned into it was really all I had to focus on because left to my own designs, you know, I at that time had a, a pretty fierce self destructive streak <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, third man for me is like day one. First thing we did was we landed, we went. Someone took us down to the honky tonks, <laughs> and you know it's it's funny because over time I love Roberts, but the first place we went was Roberts, <laughs> and I was like, "What did I do? Why? Why? What am I doing here? Why am I in Nashville? This is the worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not who I am." And I was started by tourists. It was a nightmare, <laughs> and you know I think it was just moving somewhere new, jitters or something. In right. retrospect. And now I love Roberts. It's, it's it's a it's a jewel of this town. But yeah, and I guess I, there's also a difference between like Roberts on a Saturday and Roberts on a Monday. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roberts on a Monday, it's the best you can get. Josh Headley. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man. And you and so you got here and you just were out. You were out the gate. You were starting. yeah. Right immediately, we we did. I think it was two or three days later. We had. Uh, we 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 had our grand opening with the Dead Weather playing uh, their first show, which in Third Man's unveiling was also this band's unveiling, the Dead Weather. Um, we we kind of coincided them. We showed up, and the band had already recorded their first seven inch, and they were doing hand designed sleeves for each one of them. The band each did a certain amount each hand painted glued collaged drawn they did uh unique photo strips for each one that they then included in the package and and basically what we did was when you when you it was invite only for the party and when you showed up you turned in your invite and your and your cell phone 
and you got handed an envelope and that envelope had this 45 in it and that was just a gift to the people who were here and that was our first ever our first ever release as a dead weather single did that so uh, how much planning went into creating what third man was going to be versus how much of it sort of rocketed out of that as an approach I, i'm gonna lean more in the rocket direction <laughs> <laughs> you just showed me this place and i felt like it was like wonka's it was wonka's a little bit i'm sure you've heard that a bit but mm-hmm. in that it felt like and then this thing was added and then mm-hmm. this thing was added very, yeah it's very very much the case um i i remember having a conversation with a friend who was also a business owner um in london before i left and and he was like so what's your business plan? I was like, we don't have one. And he was just like, man, you ain't going to make it. And, you know, he could have been right. I, I think we had a, a lot. We had a lot working for us in that Jack came with, obviously, a sizable amount of cachet, um, but also a really hardcore fan base that, you know, we knew were going to be dedicated to you know, at least in the early days to whatever whatever he wanted to put out there that, you know, we would have a certain amount of people who would be interested in that stuff. And at first, those are mainly the people we, we serviced um, and tried to appeal to. And with everything here, we, we'd see that we could do one thing and then we would try to lead that into something else. And a, a lot of our ideas just kind of grow out of uh, bullshit sessions and making jokes and then going, you know what, actually... Right. We're laughing about it, but if we actually did that, people would talk about it. Right. And you know, there's there's a few different trajectories of the label, but you know, sort of the bigger picture thing is, you know, there's the physical space aspect and you know, that that follows along to our space in Detroit and the pressing plan up there. But, you know, there's also also the philosophical aspect of servicing Jack White fans, um, and then and then growing that out wider from there. And one of the one of the early goals was just to get people interested into the idea of vinyl and as a as a as a product and and in a lot of ways we were right on time with this sort of vinyl resurgence that I think we played our part, but you know, I think it was also happening in its own way as well. Um but you know, we did a lot of kooky novelty sort of things, liquid filled record, records inside of records. Uh, X-ray, you know, printing records on X-rays, things like that, uh, largely is a way of just having a news piece out there to direct people's attention to this physical idea um, and the the tangibility and and romance of that. And then we then we got to a point where it was like, okay, we don't want to be those jokey novelty guys anymore. We'll we'll still do limited editions of everything, but not everything needs to be a a big P.T. Barnum moment because we. We, we started looking and we were like, well, I actually have a pretty large customer base that they don't buy into all the other stuff we do. They just vote with their money via online sales or, or whatever. Um, we saw that, well, we're now functioning like every other label. Maybe they don't know who all of their audience is all of the time. Maybe they know by project. Uh, and, and so we, we now have those two sort of worlds. We have the hardcore Jack White fans that have been there all along, and there's probably a few people that have 
picked up all 600 plus releases <laughs> over the years. Um, but then there's just a lot of people that maybe don't don't care about Third Man or Jack White or who that is as a brand or an entity, and just care about some of the music that we're putting out. And I think that's a nice nice sweet spot. But was it all purposeful? Yes and no, but. Mostly, I think we've we've just always looked at what's working and what isn't, and tried to make adjustments. and And often, there's inspirational ideas that we'll just jump into, whether it, it on the surface makes good business sense or not. Right. It's like the the difference between um, you know, like uh, this guy is important important in a lot of different ways. <laughs> the guy, what's his name? Scott Adams, who came up with Dilbert. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks a lot about the. Um, the difference between like systems and goals right and it's like a goal is like we're going to do specifically this thing and this is the outcome and a system is like we're going to like make this thing and it will be capable of implementing sort of our ideas ethos mm-hmm. or philosophy and it sounds like you're much more in the, the latter category i think so uh we yeah i i didn't mean I, for this to be a business podcast but i'm curious no that's no it's okay <laughs> I, I got thrown off with the scott adams reference sure. uh, <laughs> going to show up and throw <laughs> baby blood on me or something. <laughs> um, when I read that takeaway, I was like, oh, this is so good. I wish it wasn't, I wish it wasn't Scott Adams. <laughs> <laughs> the angriest man on Twitter. Um, yeah, I I think what we have here that's really good is is we've got a good mixture of personalities where I'm somebody who very much leads with his heart and I'm very much a, a heart on a sleeve guy. What you see is what you get. I, I you know, I'm, I'm cautious in a business sense, but at the same time, if something feels good, I just really want to do it no matter what. And I think Jack's a bit that way as well. I think we all have a bit of that. Um, my partner, Ben Blackwell, um, is one of the more pragmatic people I've ever met and he's he's a he's a brilliant problem solver and he's 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 often the smartest guy in the room though I wouldn't say that to him <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and and then there's there's Katie Studley and and Chloe Cooper who um, kind of help us on sort of it, it's hard because we don't have business titles mm-hmm. so it, it's hard to encapsulate in a you know in a soundbite but they they kind of help run everything here for us administration wise and um staffing but also pitch in on any kind of uh any kind of like business initiatives or marketing stuff things like that they're also involved in that stuff and those two are far more practical (laughs) than the three than you know the bens and jack um and we find a nice spot in the middle where you know they there's a there's a good there's a good vibe of you know that everybody kind of pitches in as and where there's a good checks and balance system just via conversation and everybody knows each other really well that you know we can rein each other in where we need to and um but yeah we've we've worked we've worked hard um now that we're on the Forbes 500 podcast, uh, <laughs> we've <laughs> we just pivoted hard. Yeah, this is the, what the, this is about now. Well, sorry. The, no, it's interesting to me, and I don't I don't get to talk much about it. So you know, feel free to do a lot of post editing. Sure. <laughs> uh, but you, we we've actually worked pretty hard the past few years of, you know, because we started with no job titles and because we started with just two people and grew from there. Um, we 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 reached a point where we were like. Oh man, it's it's definitely time for us to to 
put some systems in place and mm -hmm. really structure this place retroactively, which I think anyone's going to tell you is always more work than if sure. you had planned it out properly to begin with. And um, that's that's me taking a step back and, and looking at what I'm good at and what I'm not and trying to trust other people to, mm -hmm. to help guide that. Yeah, is that scary? Um, like to go for Because like, I mean, the, so the, the, the pro of doing it in advance is it's a resource saving, right? But the con is that you might have said no to a lot of things that ended up putting resources in your pocket mm -hmm. to be able to retroactively do it, right? One, totally true, yeah. So, like, what is that? That must be scary, though, because, like, a lot of the things that have been created in the past 10 years came from your lack of system. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's super scary. That's, you touched on that perfectly. What, what, what I've been trying to tell people is we need to take everything we've learned over the 10 years but apply that same devil may care we don't know what the fuck we're doing attitude to it yeah. so let's just be really careful about what works and what doesn't let's not lose what's special about us um but but let's get the most out of <laughs> what we're doing let's not leave money on the table and let's not let's not leave creative ideas uh unexplored uh and I think we're. I always. I'm, it's hard for me to like go 100% in any direction. I think we're getting really close to the sweet spot right now, where this 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 place is structured in a way it hasn't been previously, and it is functioning in a way that isn't. It it, it it's not um, demotivating inspiration. You mm -hmm. know, everybody still feels good and feels like that they can bring things to the table and explore ideas, and they don't feel like that they're under a whip or whatever, however yeah. you want to put it. Um, that's an awful way to put it, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think people feel good in their jobs, right. but they also know exactly what their jobs are. Right. Well, the, the, the environment here, so we just walked through and the environment here is, um, it feels like without, cause like a, a lot of, a lot of companies I used to, I worked for a handful of like startups, like very, very at the bottom that are now big. And mm -hmm. I left cause it was terrifying and I hated it, right. but, and I hated it because a lot of it was just like, let's, um, <coughs> let's create an environment where we can like, let's sort of superficially create a fr environment of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. And it felt like superficial environments of freedom. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and like, I was the, I was like the eighth employee at Groupon. Right. And mm -hmm. so like the, like even before they were group on and like people were like why'd you leave and i'm like because it's weird to work for a place that does this i bring all this up because the context here is the sense that i get is everyone actually seems to have a place where they're able to be creative for the most part not we, get fucked we hope with so, yeah. and then and then and then do that stuff D did you consciously do that because you didn't have that as an opportunity <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit. It's it's funny that you know there's 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 always this I don't know about generational differences because I think that everybody ends up bringing their own. <laughs> I think it's more of an age thing. You reach a certain age and then you you people flip flop on their earlier ideals sure. or whatever. But there's a, there's always all this talk about boomers versus millennials, but nobody talks about the Gen X generation, right. which is me and a lot of us here and. Whether it's a generation or it's whether that I grew up in a blue collar town in Ohio or whatever it is, I I have a, a certain work ethic uh, of I mentioned to you briefly. You know, I drove forklifts, I hung drywall, I refinished floors. You know, I that's just what you did where I grew up in until I gave up and tried to play music. <laughs> and um, I, I think I bring that that into everything I do. You know, it, it's it's a real just you just kind of get in and you just do the work mm -hmm. kind of vibe and and 
I started talking and I forgot the question. I guess like I guess like why 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 did you create why and how did you create right. a place where people felt the freedoms that they could in order to like bring themselves to this to right this yeah that's that's yeah that's exactly it. so I wanted you know you don't want people feeling like that they're just that they're in a grind or mm-hmm. I don't want anybody coming in here clocking in and out I want them to it it is. Ultimately, it's a business, but it's a creative business. So I want people going to shows at night, and I want them coming to our events, whether they're in-house or whether they're working or not. Mm -hmm. And um, you want people to feel really good about the place that they work, and you want them to feel good about the work they're doing while they're here. Uh, I just, I don't think that's a faux freedom thing at all, because we're, we're... honestly honest about the goals we want people right. to reach and and you know we'll be very transparent if, if we're not feeling they are mm-hmm. um, but we're also still trying to create an environment where like we're not telling you how to reach that goal my, my management style is very much I'm not going to get involved unless I need to you mm-hmm. know I want to trust that we hired the right people to do the jobs that, that need to be done and then if it reaches a point where I, I need to get involved I will but yeah. uh, I, I think that people People very much flourish when they're not, you know, having somebody tap their watch at them all the time, and right. you know, uh, and that's it's everything. I mean, it, it, it's it's just a weird reality that all of our jobs now. We talk about our jobs, and then if you like break it down, like, well, what did you do all day? I'm like, well, I answered 300 emails. <laughs> and it's like, well, why are you why are you so tired? <laughs> you know, but then even that's like somehow exhausting and mm-hmm. and. I don't know. It's it's just it's an interesting world we're we're in. Where it, it it's hard to see the, the what we call work isn't as tactile as it once was. Yeah. And, you but know, it's like psychologically demanding. It, in a absolutely, way. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's my wife and I talk about this a lot. Like what her day involves versus what mine involves. And she works from home. She's, mm-hmm. she's got her own business at home that she does. And but also we do that so she can have the flexibility that we have two kids. So. Uh, and they're both young enough where sometimes you need somebody to be free to attend to that stuff, you know? Um, So it's just funny. It's just like, I'm super exhausted for this reason, and you're super exhausted for that reason. (laughs) But they're both completely valid. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I know, like, uh, people will, uh, especially people who are younger and in business in whatever way will sort of, reprimand themselves for complaining about the things that they're exhausted by and mm-hmm. I'm like it is valid to yeah me. of like, course you know yeah. it's we're, we're we're very new to the idea that our brain should be on every waking hour <laughs> it, yeah yeah there's a great book um there's a great book I read and I can't remember the writer but it's called 24 mm. 7 and it's it's literally exactly about that where this new reality that we do have to be on 24 hours a day and right. how our lack of sleep or our lack of downtime really affects our mental health and things yeah. like that. And it's, you know, maybe it's a bit junk science, but yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> there's something there. But for it sure. resonates with all of our. Experience. I mean, when we talk about, you know, when you read any parenting book, they're like, make sure your children are on cycles and you get this right. many hours of sleep at night and blah blah blah. And that's because they learn better when they're well rested. Right, right. That's what the brain is built for. Can you can you tell me what? So I look around, um, not just in this office, but I look around uh, throughout it. Everything I saw, sort of on the factory floor, everything I saw in design, and something something I admire just greatly about about Third Man's um, presence in the in the commercial creative world is the attention to aesthetic detail. Um, mm. 
Ian, I understand that you know vinyl is so important to to y'all collectively, uh, to you as individuals, and vinyl is where so much design happened after you know before you know CDs and digital took over, and that wasn't a part anymore, like mm-hmm. the aesthetic reality. But how and why did you know the well-designed appearance of things mm-hmm. become so instrumental into who and what you guys are? Well, it's. Was it was it a sat down, discussed philosophy? I don't think so much, but I think that in a, in a in a a real shortcut way, you know, let's talk about um, Pedro Bell, who just passed away. Uh, he was he did all the kind of famous funkadelic album covers that that you know and recognize the hand illustrated kind of psychedelic aliens, uh, ghetto tech psychedelic aliens style of stuff. You pick one of those records up, you knew what you were getting (laughs) just via the way it was presented on the album cover. You know, whether you had heard Funkadelic or not, you knew you were in for some freaky shit. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me, sums it up. It's you've only got this much time to grab somebody's attention, and they, I've, I've, you know, I've been buying music since I was, you know, a teenager, and. How many times, I mean, before this age where you, I could be in a record store and just dial the record up and listen to it on my right. phone, how many times do you sit there and hold something and have no idea what it looks like? But it's kind of cool, but I don't know. Do I really want to spend 15 bucks on this? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's the idea that both we wanted to do vinyl pieces because we wanted to bring that tangibility back, and we understood that you know physical sales mean you can pay your artists more. Um, that that makes everybody more invested um and if you're doing that physical piece it should be it should be the gold standard version of that you know you don't and rather than a jewel case that's going to break and some booklet where the artwork is so small you can barely mm. see it or you know something like that i go back to the romanticism of you know being a teenager sitting in my bedroom just pouring over liner notes and personnel on albums and then going out and finding more things and or you know getting a, a zine catalog from a garage rock label and like oh okay so this is kind of like link ray so i'm gonna go i'm gonna buy that 45 right i just kind of go back to that sort of discovery process and and want to make that almost a shortcut for people of this is the definitive version and you should know what you're buying just by looking at it in some way. I mean, that's all a little bit like in the air and vague, but right. you know, we, we always, <laughs> we always say to it, to our design department, like, can't you just listen to it and then tell us what it looks like, <laughs> which is, a, you know, maybe ridiculous, but it's, it's, I, I think when I hear something, I, I have images and colors in my mm-hmm. mind associated with, with what I'm hearing and, and just trying to translate into that. Um, things mean something. Things aren't so segmented or compartmentalized. Right. Well, I like what you, know. you said about the books uh, earlier, which was mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like like I forget exactly how you said it, but like books don't need any more barriers or something, something like that. Yeah, line. yeah, yeah. We don't need anything else working against right. them because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's already we all grow up like, what are you reading for, nerd? Right, you right, know? right. And exactly. <laughs> they need to be, you need that aesthetic appeal. Some mm-hmm. people need that, that little extra push to get into something, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, there's like a book on that shelf, the, the Secret History of Mankind, and it, it's it looks like the driest book you've ever seen, and it's from that era of you know early National Geographic travelogues where you know people had never been to Papua New Guinea or whatever, and but you open that book up and it's fantastic. There's like all these worlds in there, but you'd never know it by looking at the cover. Right, right. <laughs> and yeah, can't judge a book by its cover, but you should be able to. One hundred percent, you should be able to judge. There's no excuses. Like you can actually make good covers. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. Can you tell me what what so you've been you've been in Nashville for sorry, that was me. Um you've been in Nashville for um for 10 years, mm-hmm. right? It aligns with the the label. Can you just tell me what's Third Man's place in Nashville? Man, good question. Always always asking my myself that. Yeah. Uh I think at first we 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 wanted to occupy almost an observational place and it was seen that the the town sort of had some momentum happening in different scenes that we were very cautious of coming into town and saying okay this is all of ours now this is you know just coming in and signing a bunch of young bands and and, towns love that yeah right (laughs) (laughs) but even you know this is before a lot of those conversations were happening because it it has been in the past 10 years where suddenly there's a there's Every mid-sized town in America has had this huge gentrification process going, mm-hmm. and you know these conversations about ownership and 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 space and things like that. And but yeah, <laughs> bands love that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and we we were really really cautious. We wanted to come in and be be an ally to the local scene and and find our way to be involved in it, um, but without w- without any kind of appearance of of trying to take anything over or, or ownership or anything like that. It's Sorry, it's hard, hard to articulate, but we just kind of wanted to sit back and, and let that momentum already be its own momentum and see if we can help out in certain ways uh, without being patronizing, mm-hmm. you know, and saying, we can help you more than you can help yourself. That's, that's not who we are at all. And, you know, we dipped our toes in a little bit, uh, you know, as, as, as years went on. Uh, and I think we're probably more of a local label now than we were when we started, which is interesting because it's it's a much larger label. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's our place in town? I I've I've always looked at it as that we're trying to we're trying to plug in gaps that maybe exist here. Um, that's that's why I mentioned to you earlier about the the light and sound machine film series. Mm. Um, the Belcourt does incredible programming, but. The kind of films we were showing here, in conjunction with the Belcourt, um, were uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense for them to do. They, they you know you're only going to get 50 people in the seats, and that's taken away from a bigger business plan. You know, but they can lend their support to us putting on you know Robert Kramer's Ice or Perfume Nightmare or Kenneth Anger's Magic Lantern right. Cycle. You know, right. all that stuff on 16 millimeter film. Um, that's something that wouldn't exist if we didn't if we didn't bring it here, and mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. I think that's our place is trying to be, in some ways, like a little bit of a cultural center beyond music locally. Um, we want people to see things that they haven't seen before. We might want people to come in and educate themselves on that on that 
recording process. You come in and you see the record, you see the band playing, and you see their show being mixed and mastered in real time, being cut mm-hmm. into a lacquer. That's that's educational for people, and you see the visceral reaction they have to seeing that done. It's right. such a cool thing if you've never seen that before. Um, right. I was just saying to my girlfriend who who was a who was a musician from like three on and I did not have that at all. Like my mm-hmm. parents listened to like Patsy Klein and Queen on like dad, Patsy Klein, Mom Queen. Yeah. That was it. And the only way I knew how things were recorded, I remember it so specifically, was the like any Guns N' Roses music video, like one mm-hmm. quarter of that video was always them recording it somewhere. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, that's how that works. Like, that's, how, <laughs> that's how these things get made. That's so funny. Yeah. But to have like to have a place where you could go and actually see right. see all that go down. I mean, that that itself is an educational experience. We we when we were young, we just you know we didn't know what we were doing. We'd just get a tape recorder and record our practices and things, right. and we would. <laughs> make a, a Xerox album co- right. album cover in the cassette and go sell those cassettes <laughs> at local stores. It was years before I was in a real studio and it was right. super intimidating. Yeah. And you're like, piece by piece, you're like, how would I make this better? Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be another way. Yeah, totally. So you're, so you're existing organically as a place that people can like actually interface with that process. Yeah, I think so. That's a much more intelligent way to put it than I, than I did. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 hard to know. I I I think about it a lot. Um, what is our place in this constant changing landscape of Nashville? I mean, what's our what's our place in this physical space of the neighborhood we're in that is changing so much around us? I I I feel more and more. I'm starting to feel like our place is to be the defenders for the mission, right. <laughs> right. which has nothing to do with our creative output or what our day to day job is, but. I just more and more feel like, hey, man, the more people that come into this city and the more people that come into this neighborhood further marginalizes these mm-hmm. already marginalized people. What do we do to make sure that they've got the space and resources they need? This is the neighborhood has always been that for them. Right. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's it's so tricky. But you look at. I can tell you what I hope <laughs> right. is you look at you look at a label like Sub Pop that we all have utmost respect for or drag city mm. um you know sub pop is synonymous with with seattle drag city is synonymous with chicago you know i i like to i would like to think that if we don't now at some point when you think of nashville you think of third man right you know just just as i i, I miss regional identity <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that has gone away in so right. many ways, and and especially in the music industry, without, um, you know, without regional radio or UHF stations right. or what have you, you know, without sounding like one of those analog, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word, obsession uh, uh, fetishists, sure. without being an analog fetishist, I do miss that. That time when Toledo, Ohio had an identity. Detroit, right. Michigan had an identity. Uh, Muscle Shoals in Alabama had an identity. I, you know, Nashville sure as hell had an identity. I mean, it, I I miss that, and I miss that in bands that you could hear them and you know what town they're from from their right. sound. Um, I don't know. So maybe maybe we can carve out a place where <laughs> we're part of the identity of this of this area you know is that like what do you believe like what's your what what is the belief system that you're trying to uphold 
as a label or me personally? I guess like I, if, however those things. You you personally, I guess, would be more um, more interesting. I I've often said I don't have any belief systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know how glib that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it really, really is. I think I don't know. I I, I think we, the the world is. This is removing me from the third man contact, sure. you know, which is difficult sometimes because I've became acutely aware early on that anything I say <laughs> in any kind of public sphere is immediately attached to the label. Right, of course. But you know, me myself, I see a very indifferent world, right. <laughs> uh, and you know, I just think my job is largely to be at this point in my life, the age of 45, is to be a good parent to my kids and help them shepherd that world and, right. and whatever that, that means. So I don't think we need a call from FedEx right now. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't have like a, a belief system as far as spirituality is concerned or anything like that. I think I believe in a, I think I believe in a cosmic vibration and I mm-hmm. believe in the science aspect of that is that we're all made of star stuff and a Carl Sagan-esque kind of thing. Um, I think we're all connected. Um, I could probably just grab from a bunch of different philosophies and <laughs> ascribe them to one thing. Um, but the, I think the belief system of the label is is very much just to support art and artists uh, of all ilks, completely genreless. If something speaks to us, we want to work with it. We want to we want to amplify what other people, other artists believe in and stand for. Jack White is, I, I think unfairly doesn't get the credit he deserves for funneling so much of his personal resources into that mission. He from this label is a testament to that. I mean, that guy could have sat on however much money and never put this into this. This is you know, he does this to help other artists get their music out there in the world and do it in a physical way where they can make more money from that art. Right. And and you know, from the pressing plant to everything. That's all just, that's just all about him supporting culture and art in the way, in the, in the aspects he cares about, you know, that's, that's what third man is, is honestly based on. And I, I, I think any number of companies or businesses across the entire spectrum, not just music will lie on, rely on that PR bullshit of, Hey man, we're just here for the community. But I think, I think, I think Jack's track record absolutely speaks to that. And, and maybe he doesn't get enough credit for that. This is my attempt to say that out loud for him. I think that that's right. And, and the reason that I, the reason that I say that is, is, uh, so I was a little, I was a little older when the white stripes started to be in like spin and stuff like like sort mm-hmm. of started to get larger larger coverage, um, and then I remember buying the first three albums sort of based on I had to be like eighteen or nineteen or whatever, mm-hmm. and it was the first it was the first time I was able to see a modern band have a concept right mm-hmm. have, and multiple concepts both visual and sort of what was happening mm-hmm. audio wise and that and I and I haven't really thought about it until you're just saying this now that 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 lens and sort of that projected lens applies to this, you know, oh, pr- applies to the lens. Abs- absolutely, 100%. You, when you look around here, 
I mean, you're going to see all the garage doors are primary colors. Right. And you're going to see that all black walls face one direction right. and all red walls face another. And there's no adjoining surfaces that are comprised of the same materials. And there's things like that. The, he, he likes to create, a little off topic of what you were saying, but it, it, it does fit. He likes to create perimeters to work around. He likes to challenge himself. He likes to challenge us. He 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 believes and and I agree that uh limits can lead to can lead to great ideas and creativity. Right. You know, he always talks about how when he sets up on stage, he likes to put his guitar pedals just a little bit further away than they should be, so he has to work for it. Or <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> things like that, just small little things like that in his daily life. He also believes I don't want to speak for him, but, you know, these are things he said in interviews over the years. But he, you know, he also believes it, somewhere around that third record, he hit the jackpot. I, I'm I'm going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to get to do this for my life. Right. What a gift. I have a responsibility to create something every day. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what an artist is. An artist doesn't sit around and do something once a year and... You know, and then tour on it for two weeks and then be done. You, you know, you go out and you work on something every day of your life. And, and so for, for him, the label can be a part of that. Um, and, you know, we, we I, don't, I don't think there's any hard dictum to us here at the label to think in, those, in, in, the, in that same way. But I think we do. I think nobody, nobody comes in and just like logs into their computer and starts watching YouTube videos around here, you know, we're all just, yeah. we all understand that responsibility of, you know, it doesn't matter what level the artist is at, is what they're doing for the living. It's so important to them. And I think often when you're on this side of the desk, you get wrapped up in your, in your numbers and your spreadsheets and your checks and balances and, you know, your checklist of what do I do for a campaign and is it working mm -hmm. or whatever. And you forget that it's easy to forget that you're doing with human beings over here that they feel like this is their biggest opportunity in the world mm -hmm. and they're really relying on you yeah. to care as much about it as they do. And and so it, it's, it's a pretty big responsibility to make sure that you're challenging yourself every day for those, those people. Yeah. Well, that answers a question I didn't ask before, yeah. which was when I was asking about the aesthetic stuff, I was like, wouldn't it just save you money to not care about it? <laughs> Right. Oh, sure it would. Yeah. Right. But, but, but that goes against sort of like that. That you just I think you just accidentally answered the belief question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're doing yeah. this on behalf. You're doing this on behalf. Well, I told you that before we started that I have to really talk through. Oh things. my god, I'm the same. I'm the I don't same have Any stock answers for anything? Sometimes I start asking a question and land on a different one. I'm like, I don't even know. How that, like, I, uh, I will talk and talk. Oh, it may yeah. not be what you want to hear. But. That's like, All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of National Demystified. Thanks to Jesse LaFontaine for all things related to sound post-production. Hey, every episode has a show-specific illustration provided by my longtime friend, Tim Burns, who I was fortunate to see when he was passing through the city last week. Very nice to see you, Tim. The uh, illustrations are great, so check them out. You can see them on the website, on social media, etc. That's it for now. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks.